Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Burn Covenant Church. I hope you're having a good Christmas season and that you survived the, uh, the hell of storm. That was pretty scary. Uh, my kids really struggled with going to school or not going to school on Friday, even though it was sunny and everything. Um, but you guys made it to church, so thank you for that. Um, man, thank you, uh, Michael and Linda and your whole team. That, uh, yeah, woo! Nice job. Um, this, we're in the series, this Advent series, uh, the, the season of yes, and uh, in Advent we're looking more specifically at this idea of these encounters that we have with God, that God actually wants to meet us and to meet with us, and He has actually something for us. And what's interesting is, I mean, we, there's always this gigantic debate, you know, is God in charge or we are in charge, and theologians have been divided forever. But in our human experience, we can at least understand and we can at least get our head around this idea that we have these opportunities to meet with God in this still and small voice we hear from God, and then we have the choice to what we're going to do and how we're going to respond. And uh, the truth is that when we hear those still and small voices, and we're faithful and we move towards Christ and we are faithful in those things, the kingdom of heaven um, shows up in a bigger way. When we say no, uh, we get to continue on our own life, and sometimes that works out, and sometimes it doesn't. But here's the big idea that I want us to be wrestling with kind of this whole morning, and that is this, that the kingdom of God comes about by remembering your encounters with God and daily being faithful to the work that he has called you to do. Let me say that one more time. That the kingdom of God comes about by remembering your encounters with God and daily being faithful to the work that he has called you to do. Now, one of, the, one of my heroes in this is, um, is a guy named Levi Kaufman. In 1798, he was uh, born in this little rural family out in North Carolina. And, uh, sorry, 1798. And they were farmers. He was the oldest son. Of, he had six uh, uh, sisters that were younger than him. And he spent his whole life working this farm. And North Carolina was a slave state at the time. And uh, when he was seven years old, he had this encounter with this slave. And uh, asked him some questions. And however that interaction went, um, he felt this impression uh, from God that slavery was wrong and that no one, no human being should be under um, the ownership of somebody else. And uh, he, I mean, he's seven, so he didn't really know what to do with that. But as he grew and matured, and uh, he's incredibly smart. Uh, Levi Coffin was one of the most brilliant businessmen of his time. He took his family farm, made it into a much larger farm, ended up being a merchant. And uh, for all of us in Marin, he w- you'd love this. He was like the first uh, fair trade merchant. Uh, he started a store where uh, you only goods uh, by free people. And, um, but it didn't work out as people who do fair trade in Marin know it doesn't work out either. It's not a good business model. <laughs> Um, but the deal was that he had this heart um, from God to somehow be a part of a, um, abolishing slavery. And I mean, there's a whole social structure, a whole political structure, a whole economic structure. And what is one person going to do? How can one person be a part of that? And he, wasn't, he didn't know what, his, what he to do to make the big thing done, but he felt compelled by God to be a part of this movement that was happening called the Underground Railroad. And the Underground Railroad was this series of, uh, of homes and people who would, uh, who would open up their homes where escaping slaves from the South would move along at nighttime 20, or 20 miles or so to the next home um, until they made it to the Canadian border where they would be free. And over the whole course of the, um, the Underground Railroad, almost 100,000 people um, slaves made it to freedom. And during the height of that, in 1850 and 60, almost 30,000. And about two or 3,000 of them made it through Levi Kaufman's home. He was known as the grand conductor of the Underground Railroad. And I love the story of Levi Kaufman because God met him. And he had a choice to be faithful 
or to do his own thing. He was smart. He was a brilliant businessman. He could have made a ton of money, stored up all of his treasures in a barn and died, and in two generations, his great caring kids would have squandered it, just like that happens even now. But instead, he leveraged who he was, all the gifts that he gave him, and did his one little faithful piece. He didn't get to see the, the slavery. I mean, he saw slavery come to an end, but there was reconstruction. And he didn't get to live to see the civil rights movement. He didn't get to live to see the first black president. He did his one faithful thing, put his life in jeopardy, and, uh, and risked it all so that he could be a part of the kingdom of God coming to earth as it is in heaven. And once he was questioned, why, Levi, why do you do this? And this is what he said. The Bible is bidding us to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. And it said nothing about color and I should try to follow the teachings of that good book. How compelling is that? This is my little niche, my little thing. I had this encounter with God, and I'm going to choose to say yes and be faithful. And because of people like Levi Kaufman, the Underground Railroad was a huge success. A hundred thousand slaves got to, know, got to freedom, and through that, a social movement started and ended uh, with the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation and the Civil Rights Movement and the first black president. Now, of course, we're not there yet, but we're in this, I mean, for it all to be reconciled in the kingdom of God, to fully be known. But in his moment, in his time, he was faithful. And we say yes to God. We are part of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God comes about by remembering your encounters with God and then daily being faithful to the work that God has called you to do. And so this um, Advent season, we're taking a look at some different characters around uh, the Advent story. And, uh, and I was blessed with the honor to talk about Joseph, you know, Mary and Joseph, the uh, stepfather of Jesus. And I'm not going to lie, this is, I mean, it's a nice story in, when you read it. But if you think about it, Joseph's kind of this like tag-along person in the, in the birth story. Mary's the hero. And I'm not going to lie, I was a little like a little jealous and bummed, you know, Jeff got to preach on Mary. You know, Mary is the awesome story. Mary is the person who... You are a you know, servant of God. You're most favored of one, among women. And of course, she was pregnant and out of, birth, you know, out of wedlock, and she had to deal with social stigma, and, it, and she had huge challenges. But at least she had a baby inside of her, right? At, at any point, she was like, was God there? Was he not there? But at any moment, she's like, oh, there's a baby. Oh, I didn't have sex. Okay, yeah, there's a baby. God's alive. At any point, as, the, as her son's growing up, is this the right thing? We're really struggling financially. We're heading off to Egypt. Whatever the deal is, all of her anxiety and angst, at any moment, she could look at her son, Jesus, and go, okay. God, you're at work. Mary's an awesome story. I get Joseph. But I love Joseph because I feel like Joseph is a little more normative. I can at least relate to Joseph. Joseph is the story of someone who has, he does, he, he has an encounter with God and he has his own yes moment. And uh, that is what we're going to unpack this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And this is how Joseph's account, um, Joseph accepting Jesus' son, begins. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did exactly what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, 
but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name of Jesus. And I love this story with Joseph because except for my wife having immaculate conception, I can totally identify with him. Joseph made a commitment. He was pledged to be married um, to Mary. He made a commitment. And back in those days, you know, when, a, when a, 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 a girl, I guess, was 10, 11, 12, 13, right in that age, uh, she was pledged to be married. And if you're a dad, you know, you, you want to think about who, you know, who you're going to send your daughter off, who's the right man for her, who has the right amount of property, all these exchanges. Well, you have to plan ahead. And a lot of times those decisions were made long before uh, the girl reached puberty. And it wasn't until after they reached puberty that then the husband would then take them and they would be officially married. But even though they weren't officially married, in that culture, being pledged to be married for all intents and purposes was being married. And Joseph made a commitment. And it says he's a righteous man. So Joseph intentionally stepped forward. And I can imagine a righteous man, a righteous Jewish, Jewish man. Of course God was in the middle of that. And, and what's so awesome as a pastor, I hear this all the time. And you might have even experienced this. So many people, when they get so excited to make choices, good or bad, um, God is always in the middle of it. Is this the person you're going to marry? Yes, God told me this is the person I'm going to get married. I'm so excited to marry this person. Oh, I have this new job opportunity. God has told me, I'm, God is in the middle of this. I'm going to do this commitment and do this new job opportunity. And, uh, and a lot of times, I think that's probably true. God is in, a, in a, all around us, helping us be wise and making our decisions. And a lot of times, we step into these commitments being so full of excitement and wonder and passion and joy, and we are committed, and we know that God is in the middle of it. But then life happens. Life gets messy. And for Joseph, it gets really messy. His wife comes to him and says, I'm pregnant. And I've, uh, it's funny, you read, there's a bunch of commentaries, a bunch of Christmas plays. Everyone tries to handle what in the world are they going to do with Joseph when, uh, when they find out that his wife is pregnant. And I think Joseph is a noble man. He's a good man. Um, but I just think that's the one bridge too far. You know what I mean? Like, there's, that's just too far to get your head around that your wife uh, is now pregnant through the Holy Spirit. It's too much. And that's why, well, it doesn't matter for that sidebar. Too much. But I love about this about Joseph. It says that he um, is a righteous man. Um, so it says, because Joseph uh, was faithful to the law, he did not want to expose her to disgrace, so he had a mind to divorce her quietly. Now, Joseph had every right to walk away from Mary. That was his right. That was the law. He could have easily done that. The pastors around him could have been like, you're right. You, she uh, obviously had adultery. She's not a virgin, and you can divorce her. He had every right to do that. Um, but because he was righteous, he was going to do that. He was going to let her go. Now, there's two ways in which that could happen. And now, it is true in the, in the strictest sense of the word, uh, of the law, she could be stoned to death. But at this time, because they were under Roman rule, uh, the Jewish uh, Pharisees, they didn't really cap, uh, do capital punishment. But what would have happened is they would have brought her to the city council, to the, to, the, to the group of elders of the city. They would have presented her. Yep, she's pregnant. Joseph's like, I didn't do it. And then, uh, and then that would be it. They would um, break off the marriage. And then she would probably most likely in, in front of the whole city be disowned by her parents. And then she would have basically two options, a life of prostitution or a life of slavery, which would probably include prostitution. Those were her only options because of the public disgrace that her family would, would go through. But Joseph, having mercy, is like, okay, that's, that's too much. And he's, he does it quietly. And the law had this provision where if just two people, two witnesses, and they could kind of quietly figure that out. And, you know, Mary could be sent off to her cousins and they could say her husband died in war or whatever. And that was, so that's what he was going to do. So life got really messy and he had every opportunity to pull the ejection handle. It is fully his 
right to have been done. And what is so amazing is, and interesting is that we have these encounters with God. And, and a lot of times the, we choose the encounters with God. We say, God, I want to do this thing, or God, I think is leading me to do this. And we say, yes, and we are in. But more often than not, life gets mess- messy, and God shows up and throws us a curveball. And the, the real question is, what are we going to do when that curveball is thrown? Are we going to continue to be faithful, or are we going to try to justify our way and weasel our way out of it and do the what seems like the right thing, but is really the easy way out. And Joseph tries to get the easy way out. It's not the easy way. I mean, it's still heartbreaking, but he had a a way out. But then I love this, and this is why I love Scripture, and this is why I love our God, because he could have walked away, and that would have been the end of it. But what happens is God actually shows up. God shows up on the scene before Joseph pulls the trigger, and he has this encounter with God. And this is God's encouragement to Joseph. So before uh, he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. You can imagine Joseph and his anxiety and his depression and his wrestling and having to just walk through Make, uh, divorcing Mary. And in that moment of desperation, the angel of the Lord shows up and says, do not be afraid. And we hear it's all over the Christmas season, but God shows up in the still small voice and says, do not be afraid. And if you ever had those holy moments, those encounters with God, there's something kind of startling about it. And God says, listen, I am for you. I'm not going to crush you. I'm not gonna, you he's not going to go, Geez, Joseph, why are you going to do this? You were pledged and you're breaking my plan. He shows up out of grace and mercy and affirms that he's not there for death and destruction. But he says, do not be afraid. He then makes it clear, Joseph, I've got this. Mary being pregnant, that's for me. I have this thing. It is not yours to worry about. I've got it. Do not be afraid. I've got this thing. But what I want from you is to follow through on your commitments. You're pledged to be married. I need you to continue to be married to Mary. And I need you to name this boy Jesus. And what's interesting in Jewish culture, when the, fa- when the baby's born, it's only when the father takes the baby and names him is that baby considered part of his family. So he could have walked away and that baby would have been a bastard child and would have been a, 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 you know, on the fringe of society for all time. But because Joseph said, this is my son, his name is Jesus, Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. The Savior is people. He had no idea what any of that meant. Jesus saves. His name is Jesus. Now because of that, for all people, Jesus is identified with Joseph coming out of the line of David, fulfilling dozens and dozens of prophecy that the Messiah was going to come. And because Joseph was faithful in this little thing, Jesus comes. Jesus is from the line of David, and he becomes the Savior of the whole world. And what I love about Joseph's story and where I find encouragement is this, that Joseph had no idea who Jesus was. He had all the hard part of the story. He had a deal um, with a wife who got pregnant that wasn't his and his whole town and family knew it. He had to deal with all their snickers, all their their stares. He had to deal with his first year being married, being married to a woman who just had a baby and is dealing with a toddler. Talk about a rough honeymoon. Like, that's no good. And uh, and then he had to deal with a, a kid, a toddler, a baby, raising a kid, all the financial strain of that. And then most scholars believe that he died long before Jesus' public ministry. He never got to see Jesus. He never got to see the triumphant entry. He never got to see uh, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. He didn't see any of that. 
But because he was faithful in his part, the kingdom of God came about because uh, Joseph remembered his encounter with God and was daily faithful to the work that he was called to do. So that's the story of Joseph. And I think it's an incredible story and one that should give us a lot of encouragement. Because the truth is, I think if we're honest, many of us have had encounters with God. Few of us have had encounters with God where the angel of the Lord shows up and says, Moses, do this. Like, some people have that. I've never had that. But most of us, if we're honest, have had these encounters with God where we have made decisions and we've gotten all excited to do something and we're like, yes, God, you must be in this thing. Or when life has gotten incredibly messy and we've, in the bottom basement of, des- of desperation, have cried out to God and said, God, you have to show up. And when I hear people's stories, God has showed up. When life has got really messy, when the curveball has showed up, when the baby showed up, you know, with the special needs, or the marriage didn't go the way that you wanted to, or the business model fell through, or a sick family member had to come in and live with you, whatever, all the gazillion ways that life gets crazy, and, uh, and people cry and say, God, what are you doing? Most people, if they're honest, have this moment where they go, God showed up, and in some way, God said, do not be afraid. I've got this. Just be faithful. Almost everybody's story is that. Um, my son and I, I, I think I'm not, this is not a good parenting idea. I don't recommend it. But somehow we got in this rhythm of listening to Jim Gaffigan together. He's this comedian who's mostly clean. And so I figured it's okay for my son and I listen to him. But even Jim Gaffigan, who's this comedian, he tells a story about losing his kid at the mall. And he just freaks out. And he has this moment where he's like, God, I know I haven't talked to you since high school in that last exam. And he makes this whole joke about not talking to God, but you've got to help me find my kid. And sure enough, what does God do? He shows up. He finds his kid. And then he goes, oh, and he goes on and does his own, own thing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that is so my story. It is so our story that we all have these encounters with God, but we make it through and then we forget that God actually showed up, asked us to do something and asked us to be faithful. And we just go on our merry way. But I think the only way that we continue to be faithful, the only way we continue to move the kingdom of God forward is we have to remember that encounter. And I love the story with Joseph because he had an encounter. Mary got Jesus every day, all day, as a reminder that God's faithful and God's with him and life is all good. Joseph got a dream. And think about it. You've had weird dreams. You could have, you could have justified that dream any way you want to because it was a dream and you were tired, you know? And, um, but we have to remember that God has shown up. And when he showed up, he's often said, do not be afraid. I've got this. Just be faithful in what I've called you to do. Because the kingdom of God comes about by remembering our encounters with God and then daily being faithful to the work that he has called us to do. And that is really the hard part. How do we daily be faithful to the work that God's called us to do? And I think there's four things, and you probably could have come up with a dozen things I picked. These are the four things I think mostly that I need, and so I'm just going to share them with you. Um, but these are the four things I think that we need to do so that we can daily be faithful to the work that God has called us to do. Because at the end of the day, God is at work in the whole world. And if we are only concerned about our life, then our life will be over in, in, in a generation, and that'll be the end of it. But if we want to be a part of what God's doing in all of the world, then our little piece of the puzzle totally matters. So these are the four things. In order to follow through, um, what we need to pull us off is the first is I think that we need forgiveness. Because if you are honest, and this is, like I said, my junk, if I'm honest, 
I look at Mary and the people who have Mary encounters, and I am so bitter at them. I am so jealous the way that God has showed up for some people, and it is so evident, and it is so clear, and it seems like God's hand of blessing just nonstop gushes on them. And I stand back, and I don't know anything about them, because that person's only a two-dimensional person. If you had any conversation with that person, you'd be like, no, I feel the exact same way about you. Because we all put each other on pedestals and on two-dimensional layers and have no idea of the depth and chaos that's going on. But because I'm a human and because my heart is hard, I look at those two-dimensional people who know and love Jesus and are all passionate about him, and I get jealous, and I'm self-centered. And I realize the curveball that God threw me is unfair. And why would he do that? I am like God's favorite person. I gave up all the stuff to follow him, and this curveball is not okay. And it makes me bitter, and it causes angst, and it will and it'll ultimately lead to my heart just being totally crushed. And so I think that the very first thing, if we're going to even move forward, if we're going to even attempt to be faithful to the things that God has for us, then we have to own that we need forgiveness. We have to own our jealousy. We have to own our angst, and we have to own our fears. The second thing that we need to do is I think that we need to, we need to have passion again. Um, last weekend, I went to uh, Doug and Ileana's son, Seth's wedding, and uh, I love going to weddings. They are incredible. I've been married for 17 years, and I love my wife, and life is really great, and, uh, but we're right in the grind of it. I got two elementary school kids and bills and a middle of a car payment that I'm trying to pay off. You know, I got life. It's happening, and, uh, and I go to Seth's wedding, and I sat down, and immediately I'm like, oh, man. God, you're about to wreck me in this thing. Because the wedding didn't start, but up front there was a seat with a bowl of water. And being a pastor, I'm like, ah, he's going to wash her feet. That's pretty classy. But then I'm like, oh man, that's really classy, right? His first act as a husband is to get down on his knees and to wash his wife's feet to say, I am your servant. The way that uh, the church, uh, Jesus serves the church. I forget how it all went down because that got into the pastor's sermon. Forget I just said that. First sale, going to wash her feet. And I was totally compelled by that. I'm like, that is amazing. But because I'm a jerk, my first thought goes to, oh man, wait until he really feels like, understands who she is. Wait till she starts getting all, you know, that time of the month again. Wait till she has a kid. Wait till the job. And I'm like, I'm like, these guys, they don't have a shot. They don't even know what they're doing. <laughs> and uh, because I'm a, a jerky person, I want to feel better about myself. But I realized I was, so pr- I was so thankful that God met me in that moment. I was like, Ben, simmer down. You need to ask for forgiveness. This passion that these two are about to share about starting a whole life in marriage together, that is the life that you have accepted. That is the call that you have taken. And I need passion. That passion doesn't have to go away just because life is normal now. But it is a renewed commitment. It is an investment in passion. The third thing is this idea, I think that we need nobility. The call that God has called us to do, the, the being a part of the kingdom of God is a noble calling. I love every movie from Star Wars to Guardians of the Galaxy. There's always this moment of like, I'm going to go do this. Who is with me? And there's this kind of awkward pause because no one knows who's with you, you know? And sure enough, you know, the best friend goes, I am. And you're like, Yes. And then their buddy goes, I am. And then and all of a sudden, everyone starts standing up. And then the two people then are like, fine, I am too. You know? but, but everyone is on board because you want to know who is with me because this calling is this huge and noble thing. You know it's going to be costly. And in this moment, it's like, yes, I am in it. My people are in it. And it is going to be great. And the last thing, though, and this is the hard one, is that it takes maturity. Because standing up and saying, yes, I am in this is easy. The maturity to follow through 
and do the difficult things day in and day out takes maturity. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, his name's Adam Fenderson, he's one of my old, old youth group kids, and uh, he wanted to be a filmmaker, and, uh, and, and he's become this activist filmmaker guy, and he's awesome. But what happened was, when he was in college, he thought, I'm just going to be this activist filmmaker, I'm going to change the world for Jesus, and it's going to be great. And what's happened is, that dream, is the, he's almost at that dream 15 years later, but he got to that dream because daily, Day in, day out, he cut his dues. He edited reality TV shows. He worked three jobs. He got investors. He made one movie. He made another movie, right? It was this long process. And in those moments, no one saw that. And he had a hard time with his wife, and he couldn't make bills meet. But when he stood up, you know, when he was a sophomore in college, he's like, I'm going to do this. Everyone's like, that's awesome. And at this point, looking back, he's like, look what I'm doing. That is awesome. But that's me as an observer. The 15 years of faithfully day in and day out doing it is why he got to that conclusion. So the way in order we do this is we need forgiveness, passion, nobility, and maturity. And so how do we even do those things? We have to be aware of these things. And the first is Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18 says this, that our hearts are darkened in our understanding and separated from the life of God because of our ignorance. And that is due to the hardening of our hearts because of sin. That sin's main function is to harden our hearts. And if we want to be about all that God has for us, we have to own that we have a sin problem. Jesus died for our sin, and we love that, and we're saved, and we get to go to heaven forever, and that's great. But there's this daily work. Pick up your cross daily. Die to yourself. Ask God to cut away the hard parts of your heart, the dead parts of your heart, because that sin will cover up your heart, will cover up your eyes, and you will miss totally what God has for you. In order to uh, grow our passion, we have to regain and re- re-engage our heart. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 21, it says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is so true. It's not just you have to like psych yourself up to be like, I need to love someone more. It's just wherever you invest, your heart is going to go there. If you love politics, if you love hockey, if you love whatever it is, investing, if you love real estate, if you love swimming. I don't know, whatever your thing is, if you're invested in it, your heart is going to grow towards it. And if you want your heart to grow towards the things that God has called you to do, then you need to invest in them, right? The seasons that have been the hardest for Katie and I, when I go, oh, it's right, part of it's my fault. It's not always her fault. I'm going to invest in her. And if I just selflessly run after her and invest in her, God actually tunes my heart. It changes my heart. And I regrow and regain passion. In John chapter 1, verse 12, we're reminded of our high calling. He says, Yet to those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are not just random humans wandering through life. We are of noble descent. We are daughters and sons of the God Most High. And he doesn't just want us to be his slaves. He's invited us to be his partners, to be co-heirs with his son, Jesus, to be um, ambassadors of reconciliation. These are the things that God has put on us to do. And we have to remember our noble calling. We are not people lost in an orphan, orphaned, doing our own thing, living in the dirt. But we have been adopted into the family of God to be princes and princesses and be about the family business. We have a noble and high calling. And lastly, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 26, it says, But whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, um, I'm sorry, but everyone who hears these words of, oh man, 
I tried to just short circuit it here. I'm just going to read the whole passage. It says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fail because it had its foundation on the rock. There is no glory in doing all of the little, tiny, faithful things to build your house on the rock. We all want to skip out and do the easy thing and just build our house. But when we build our house on the rock of Jesus Christ, we can withstand any rain. God has invited us to do huge things. And the hard part is the huge thing that God has called us to do is what he's called us to do collectively, because most of us, God has called us to do these little things, but to be faithful in them. That in order for the kingdom of God to come about, we have to remember the time that we have encountered God. And God showed up. And when he showed up, he said, do not be afraid. I've got this. But you need to be faithful. And when you are daily faithful to those small and tiny tasks that no one sees, then God's kingdom actually shows up. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend just a little bit of time being quiet and praying. And we're going to do a thing called a bidding prayer. And that just means I'm going to offer for prayer and in that prayer make space for you to connect with God. Because if we are going to be the church that God has for us to be, if we are going to be about the kingdom of God showing up here in Marin County, then that little hidden thing that you said yes to that is just crushing you, that curveball that happened in your life that you just want a way out, the kingdom of God doesn't come about by you ejecting that and doing something easier. The kingdom of God comes about when you, in a private and hidden way, are faithful to that thing. So if you do this, if you'd close your eyes and pray with me. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I thank you that you have a huge heart and passion for the whole world. You have a plan for the whole world, for your son to be honored and glorified and for his kingdom to be made known here on earth. And God, I pray that we wouldn't get lost in how big that is. That we would not get lost in this forever attempt to be significant or to be famous or to think that what we need to do matters. Because the reality is, God, that you see us and you've called us to a noble life and what we do does matter. God, we've made commitments Our life has gotten messy. And this morning, God, we need to remember your still, small voice. So for some of us, God, we have marriages that are really struggling. And the joy we felt when we stood up on the altar and said, I do, seems very far away. God, would you remind us of your call? to not be afraid that you've got this and to be faithful and follow through in your commitments. And as we gear up for Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're so aware of our dysfunctional families and the special needs that are all surrounding our families, God. And in our desperate, desperate moments, God, we have heard from you. Please remind us, God, to not be afraid You've got this.
and you'll give us strength to follow through on these commitments. For those of us who have made certain financial commitments or academic commitments, God, and we knew that you were all about saying yes to this thing, and then life got really hard and busy and complex. And we cry out to you, God, you say, do not be afraid that you've got this. Be faithful and follow through. Many of us have a place that God has given us in our heart to be committed to areas of compassion and mercy and justice. And it seems like what we do is so small in the big scheme of things and feels hopeless and not a good use of our time or resources. But God, that is a lie from the pit. You long for your people to have a heart of grace and mercy and compassion and justice. Let's not worry about how it's all going to work out in the big scheme of God, but trust you that your kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven. May we not be afraid. May we trust that you have this. And may we follow through on our commitments. Guy, thank you so much for Joseph and his testimony of faithfulness. May we too be faithful, God, and may your kingdom of earth, kingdom of heaven, come on earth as it is in heaven, so that all people may know the love and grace and mercy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.